Amen. We are in a series on the spiritual gifts, and we are coming towards the end of that series, actually, and I'll remind you of the different gifts that we're looking at. Here is the big list that we've been working our way through. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at gifts of leadership, apostleship, evangelism, pastoring, and leadership on the right-hand side. But I remind us that what the New Testament teaches is that God has given to his people various gifts, assignments of the Holy Spirit to carry out the ministry that takes place in a local church body. And as we live out these gifts, then the gospel is moved forward. We become the kind of community God intends for us to become, and the effectiveness in the world increases. And we've been working at understanding these so that we can uh, work at that goal that we have together. I I can't really say it as well as as Paul does, and so um, let me just remind you, this isn't the scripture we're going to be looking at, so you don't need to turn to it, but 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've come to the party, you know, of, of Jesus, and yet you don't come empty-handed. God has given you something to bring so that when you show up, you have something with which to bless the rest of the people in the community. And we're exploring what those gifts are. Today, we're looking at that group of gifts that would go under the title, Gifts of Leadership. And so would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll give one to you. Um, Don't be shy. We'd love for you actually to take this Bible home with you uh, so you can have it on your nightstand and read it in the morning when you get up or at night when you go to bed. We want this to be a, a part of your life. Um, Ephesians 4 is on page 675 in that particular Bible. We're going to look at two different passages. Um, In fact, I'm going to back up a little bit in Ephesians 4 so that we can work into our actual text. Look with me in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There it is, what we're talking about. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And we we understand that to mean this was referring to Jesus Christ stepping out of the heavenly realm into this world to live among us. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So before he ascended, he gave gifts. He poured out his spirit and the spirit came with unique assignments And giftedness for the people of God. So that, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then it goes on to expound the glories of that as well. But you see in there, uh, giftedness being called out again. In particular, there are three in this one that we're going to look at today. If you'll turn to the left, to Romans 12, we'll look at one more. We'll add one more to our list. So just turn to your left, not that far. You're going to find the book of Romans. Go to Romans 12. 
and look with me in verse 6. We're going to pick one more gift from this list. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, this is another one for today, with zeal. Now remember that word zeal, we'll come back to that. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So gifts of leadership today, we're going to be looking at uh, the gift, the apostle, uh, the evangelist, the pastor, and the leader, and how they affect the community of faith to cause it to become what God intended it to become. And I want to look at these different gifts. I want to look at this topic in three different movements. First of all, are going to be, is going to be the leadership tension. There is a tension around leadership that I think you'll be familiar with, and I want to address that. Secondly, I want to look at the leadership terms, so the particular words for these four. And then lastly, the, just to make it another T, the leadership triumphs. And that is how we are going to uh, pool our resources together to see God work through these gifts to bring about his vision for our, for our church. So first of all, the leadership tension. We tend to be a little bit ambivalent when it comes to the gift of leadership. I think we feel mixed feelings. We're conflicted. We know that good leaders are hard to find and can have a huge impact on whatever community or organization we're a part of. And yet at the same time, uh, embedded in us is this kind of suspicion of leaders and how they might abuse their power. Maybe we've experienced the abuse of power. And so we come to this topic with a little bit of ambivalence. And you see that in the scripture themselves. If you go all the way back to 1 Samuel 8, what you find is the nation of Israel having, living out this very tension. They call on God and ask that he would give them a king, a strong leader. And the reason they're doing so is because up until that point, they'd been led by judges. And judges, the concept of the judge was sort of a loose leadership structure. And it wasn't very effective. And there was all kind of rotten decay within Israel morally. And then they were, they were much weaker than the nations around them on the outside. I thought, well, if we have a good leader, if we have a king, then we'll do much better. And so they call on God for a king. And Samuel, who's the prophet, goes to the Lord and says, what should I do? They're asking for a king. Should we, should we make him a king? And God says, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their Lord. They want somebody to stand in between. So on one level, we understand that if everybody would just live rightly and follow God and and, and live out the scriptures, we wouldn't have any need for leaders, right? Because we would be working in concert if we would just follow God, listen to the Holy Spirit. And yet that's not the reality of a fallen world. And, and, And so on the one side, we have this tension. We wish we didn't need it, and yet when we look around... We see that we do it, and and what happens? God does give them a king, and there's some negative effects of that. The king, what, wants taxes from them, wants them to contribute, and so there's, and, and has authority over them, and there's negative, but... When King David at least comes along, there's, there's a poor king first, but then King David comes along, and, and you see the power of leadership. Because King David helps to transform the nation of Israel into one of the greatest nations around. What a leader! I mean, he, he draws them towards God. He brings the ark into the center. The ark of the covenant builds the you know, plans for the building of the temple and, and gets them rooted and grounded in their faith and, and physically and spiritually leads them and cares for them. And Israel goes from this sort of small nation that's having decay and, and problems to this, this great behemoth on the, the front of the world um, just being so effective 
and a big part of that is God's leadership through King David. In fact, wherever we look and we find organizations that are doing well, let's take it even outside of the realm of the church and any business or corporation or nonprofit, in almost every case, if it's doing well, you will find good leadership. Jim Collins wrote this book, Good to Great, and it was for uh, businesses to go from good to great. And, and what would they need? And he did all this research, and he told his researchers, whatever you do, discount leadership, because every entity has leadership. It can't be leadership that makes a difference in the organization. And all of his researchers came back with all the data, and they said, guess what? There's one constant here. There's one thing we can't ignore, and that is leadership. We can't bracket leadership out of the equation. If you want a healthy entity, organization, group, community, you need good leadership. So they put it back in and it ended up being the first chapter and, and probably one of the most important elements in being effective. And he was writing for nonprofits and, and for businesses. See, the reality is, actually, when you, when you dig deep into the scripture, that leadership is, is part of the created order. We want to say that it's actually a necessary evil, but it's not merely a necessary evil for a fallen world. It's part of the created order. Depending on how you read um, the, the, the Genesis and, and the Garden of Eden, you will see in different ways leadership cropping up right in the very beginning. And then if you're to fast forward to the heavenly picture, the heavenly vision, you see that actually there is space in that heavenly vision for people who have authority, people who exercise leadership. Let me give you a few examples. It's said in multiple places that we will reign with Christ. Reigning is the exercise of leadership. Or Revelations, that's in 2 Timothy 2, Revelation 3 says we'll sit on the throne next to Christ. Um, perhaps one of the strongest examples is if we go to the teaching of Jesus in Luke 19, and some of you may remember this, um, he's talking about um, the person who serves well, and it says that after Jesus comes into his kingdom, so we're in that heavenly kind of realm, um, he says to the faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant, because of this you will have authority over ten cities, he says to one. And to the other, he says, you will have authority over five cities. So there is an element of leadership that's exercised in the heavenly realm that's part of the created order. It's not just a necessary evil. It's part of the way God intended his world to be. It also says in, in 1 Corinthians that uh, we will judge the world, we will judge angels even. The issue is not leadership, it's what kind of leadership ultimately. And just like anything else, leadership is corruptible. And redeemable. And that's the key element when we think about healthy leadership. And this is what Jesus does, is he redeems leadership. Go with me to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 42. We'll put it up here so you can read along. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who've been arguing about this topic. And he says, he calls them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And so, so leadership in Jesus' day, as it was generally practiced, was top-down, self-centered. And people exercised leadership so that they could ultimately serve themselves, and they did so in a harsh, unkind, unloving way. Verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you 
must be slave of all. This is strong language. And then to back up what he's saying, he says, for even the son of man, that's how Jesus refers to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus teaches about leadership, and then he embodies it himself. And and what he's referring to there is this, at the end of his life, Jesus goes to the cross, and he he dies on the cross. And, And when people understood what he was doing through the lens of the whole history of the Old Testament and the teaching of Jesus Christ, what they realized is that in going to the cross, Jesus Christ was offering himself an atoning sacrifice for sin. Because people had turned away from God, there needed to be some punishment for that sin, and Jesus on that cross was taking all of that punishment for sin into himself, offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And in so doing, not only was he redeeming all things, but he was redeeming leadership itself. He's saying, look, This is what it means to be a leader. Not that you would hoard and acquire and be self-serving, but that you would give of yourself. And somebody who's in leadership who has something to give, and Jesus had everything to give. He was a perfect sinless being. Gave of himself so that we could be healed. And and if you're here in a kind of exploring Christianity mode, if if you're not considering yourself a Christian yet, this, we're happy that you're here and want you to be here. But this is the key message for you to consider and to think about. Is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior applicable to my life? Am I going to express my faith in him as Lord and Savior? Because he wants to redeem all things and all things in your life. And that is the first step to place your faith in him. Now, He goes on, of course, in this, in the redeeming of all things, to redeem leadership. He gives us a picture. The tension, the leadership tension that we experience is resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he, the greatest one who had everything in heaven, stepped out of heaven to offer himself for us, to to give himself for us. And that's the model. And as Christ empowers us to do the same, then leadership is transformed. Okay. So the leadership tension is resolved in the gospel. Now let's talk about the various terms for leadership. In the text that we read, we have apostle, evangelist, pastor, and leader. And I want to briefly define those. First of all, apostle. The term apostle is a bit thorny. And I sort of sifted through various uh, ways of thinking about this. And what I really liked uh, in terms of approximating what the Bible teaches is how John Stott talks about the gift of apostle. He says there are three ways to kind of cut this word. It really means to be sent. We have to think about who's it referring to. And there are three groups of people that the term apostle can refer to. First of all, it refers to all Christians. In John, Jesus says that just like me, I was sent, you all are sent. So every Christian, every follower of Jesus is sent to bring the gospel. And so we're all apostles in that sense. We all have the gift of the apostle in that sense. The second application of the term apostle is to say apostle with a small a. This is the apostles of the church. And it's really what we're talking about in our sermon today and how it's talked about in the text that we looked at today. The apostle, small a, 
is somebody who is sent by the church to do the work of the church in an area where the work needs to be done. So when we think about planting churches, we look for somebody with the gift of the apostle, small a, to be sent out from our church to go and start a church in a new place. Hopefully a place where there's greater need. When we think about the missionary, we prayed for the Kegrises, being sent from our church to go to the Middle East to bring the, the good news of the gospel, then we think of somebody being sent. That's apostle, small a. It's the function of being sent from the body of Christ to a place where is there, there is need to do ministry there. And then there's the third application of the term apostle. And here we would say the capital A apostle. And this refers to the office of the apostle, which is all over the pages of the New Testament. There were only 12 of these. They were the 12 disciples and then lost one, then was replaced. And then to the 12 were added three more, it seems like, as we read our New Testament. Uh, James and Paul and Barnabas were added. So there were only 15 capital A apostles. And this is an official office And the reason it's very important that we don't confuse these is because the office, capital A Apostle, is bound up with the writing of Scripture. It was through the Apostles that we acquired the New Testament. And so we can't say that there are capital A Apostles in existence anymore. The gift of being sent is part of the community, but there are no longer capital A, Apostles. So we want to be very clear about this and not confuse the office of the Apostle that had to do with the writing of Scripture and the gift of the Apostle, which is to be sent out. And understandably, some have wanted to not use the term with respect to anybody because they don't want to confuse those. But the problem with that is we need Apostles, small a, in the church. We need people to be sent to do ministry in difficult places. So that's apostle. The second one is evangelist, and and I'll try to move through these quickly. The, uh, The evangelist is simply the gospel proclaimer or announcer. And all of us, to some degree, are evangelists. We've been saying this about the gifts. The gifts are not intended for us to designate certain people who will alone do these tasks, and we won't have to. The people with the giftedness call us forward in doing a better job of what we're all called to do. So we're all to be evangelists, that is to be proclaimers of that news, that incredible news about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus Christ on the cross and then being raised again from the dead and and, and, and then attaching yourself to Jesus by faith and that changes the way you see yourself um, to, to, to be freed from the sin and all the guilt and shame that has weighed you down because you know you've done things to offend people and offend God and Jesus comes and, and releases you from that and now this new identity that you have shapes the way you think about who you are and the way you move through the world, the way you think about others. That's an incredibly freeing gift that God wants to give to us by His grace. And, and, and so it's incumbent upon all of us to proclaim the good news of the gospel and to share it with the people around us. So nobody gets a pass on that. We don't leave that to the specialists. But there are some people who are really effective in proclaiming the gospel. 
and they're very motivated to do it. And what their job is in the church context is to lead us. They show us how to proclaim the gospel better. Sometimes their job is just to come alongside and embolden us to do it more because maybe we don't have that gift and so we forget. Uh, or they're to show us how to do it better. Um, these are all the ways that the evangelist serves in the community. And my fear is that some of you have the gift of evangelism, and instead of leading others into evangelism, what you tend to do is feel like you're different from everybody else. Why do I care so much about people hearing the good news of the gospel? And then after a while you feel different and you stop talking about it. When actually God has placed that gift in you to influence and affect the rest of the people you're around. So if you're in your home group and you're the most zealous one for evangelism, good. Then let that spill out into the lives of the other people in your home group because they need you, as one with the gift of evangelism, to lead them in that area. Last Saturday, the home group leaders from this congregation went away for a retreat. There, was a, there were about 30 or so of us, and uh, we invited a friend to come and speak to us on disciple-making, and he really spoke to us on evangelism. His name is uh, June Lee. He's a pastor in this area, was instrumental in starting the One Heart Club, Christian Club at Albany High, and now he works at UC Santa Cruz on campus there. And we, you may know of Pastor June because we've been praying for him because he has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and so his body is just sort of decaying and declining underneath him. And it's very painful, and we have been praying for him. We haven't seen him for a while. So he came to our retreat, and he came in on a cane, and, 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 and yes, it's evident that he has been on the decline. And he sat down to share with us on the subject of disciple-making. And he couldn't speak. He was so overwhelmed with emotion. He teared up, and he asked Miguel if, if we could sing a song. So he sang a song. He thought we'd be able to, he'd be able to start after that, but he start, tried to speak again, and he just teared up again, welled up with emotion, to the point where all of us finally got up and we just came around him and laid hands on him and prayed for him. And it was just one of those sweet moments that, you know, none of us will ever forget for the rest of our lives, praying for Pastor June. And he said afterwards, as he finally was able to catch his voice, weakened voice, he said, you know, I'm not sad for myself. It's just that I'm very sensitive to the Holy Spirit these days. And he said, my weak body can't handle what God is doing in my life. And then he went on to share with us how he had always wished he'd had the gift of evangelism. And he said, in my weakness, God has given me this gift. And he, he told story after story of how God has been using him to share the good news with people around him. And in fact, he told this one story. He said, I'm in the cafeteria and, I, and this is crazy. I feel like I should share the good news with this kid over here. And I'm so tired. He's got his cane. I can't get to him. So I say, Lord, if you want me to share then, then have him come to me. And at that very moment, the kid turns and opens the glass door and walks straight towards him. And he shares the gospel with him. And he comes to faith. Powerful stuff. The good thing is we recorded it. Um, and so on this subject of evangelism, for you to be encouraged and to be around somebody who God has given the gift to lead us in this area, I'm going to post it later today, uh, listen to Pastor June's talk on, on the gift of evangelism. You will be encouraged and blessed by it, and I think we will all be emboldened. So, the gift of evangelism. The third one is the gift of pastor. Now, the gift of pastor is used in the Western culture as an office, but in the Scripture, it is generally more not about an office, it's about a, a, a function, a gift, 
something that you do in the community. And anyone can have it. So unfortunately, we talk about pastoring, and we think of the person who has the title pastor. But actually, the way the New Testament gives it is more as about something that we do in the community of faith. We pastor. And guess what the word pastor really means? It means to shepherd somebody. So anything that you would think about that has to do with shepherding, you know, reach back in your experience of shepherding sheep, which I know we all have in 20th century culture, right? Uh, Not. Uh, We don't know what it means to shepherd a sheep, but try to imagine, or if you want to go to Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, and then outlines what a shepherd does. These are the things that a pastor is supposed to do. Somebody who's pastoring. It's to provide for the sheep. It's to guide them, to care for them, protect them, to correct them when they go astray, to lead them to food and water. So we talk about leading people to the scripture so they can be fed and nourished. It's to provide rest for them. This is what it means to be a pastor. And if we only have the pastors doing this work, we are going to be impoverished greatly. What we need is all people who have been assigned this gift and given this gift to step up and pastor one another, to shepherd one another. We need this in our children's ministry. I pray that we would have people who would just have this burden for our kids. Maybe it's you know our, 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 our sixth graders or our fourth graders, and you just feel this burden, like, I want to shepherd these kids. I want to pray for them on a weekly basis. I want to walk with them through life when they have problems and struggles. I want to encourage them. I want to lead them to the scriptures. I'm praying that we would have people sort of rise up with this heavy but good burden to minister to our children, to our youth, to, uh, to our, our home group, uh, to our adults, to the home group ministry. We need lots of shepherds. And, and there's not a real special giftedness here necessarily. I think it's kind of like parenting. You know, it's not like only certain people get to parent, right? Um, it, 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 all different kinds of people can do this work. And the same with shepherding. All different kinds of people can do it. I move on. And the fourth one is the leader, which is sort of a catch-all term. It just means to manage or to stand before others, to so influence others as to cause them to follow a recommended course. So the leader uses influence in other people's lives to cause them, in this case, to move towards Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be, by, by being present with somebody, the leader moves that person towards Jesus Christ. And it says that the leader is to lead with zeal. And I had a a fun time understanding this word this week. The word zeal can be translated in a number of ways. It could be haste or speed. And think about that. Leaders often have to move quickly. There There are just few opportunities that come and you have to jump on them and seize them. And if you're a leader, be reminded of this truth. Haste, speed, pursuit, exertion. To lead is to push against the reality that is in hope of a reality that could be. And that requires exertion on the part of the leader. It's hard work. So if you're a leader and it's hard, then it's probably you're doing the right thing. It's just hard to lead. It requires exertion and study. That's even another way. Like zeal could be translated as sort of intense study to figure out what the best thing is. So in other words, if you're going to lead, if you're called into this, and I hope many of you are, you can't sit back and just sort of rest and let it happen on its own. We need to lead with zeal. All right, those are the four terms. And then lastly, leadership triumphs. What does it mean to do this well together? What does it mean to do it? Now, the the New Testament is not 
very prescriptive. It doesn't tell us, you know, exactly here's how you do it. There's a lot of freedom. And so um, we have to allow for just sort of the, the natural differences that happen between churches as we step out to lead. We've been talking in our community about identifying elders and deacons more prominently. We've been using those titles uh, to talk about character qualities, but we want to use them to talk about actual people. And I know for some of you, and some of you don't know about this conversation, so um, just, just listen in. But the pace of this process has been slow for some of you. But I want to report back that because of the slow process of our moving in this direction, God has enabled us to maintain a measure of unity in this church that's been really beautiful to behold. And so I want to celebrate that with you this morning. And in this fall, you're going to be hearing more about uh, elders and deacons and how we're going to do that, especially at the congregational meeting and afterwards. But here's what the New Testament teaches us about leaders. Pick people with character, it says. In In the world, we think about skills and abilities. In the church, the leading quality is character. We want people of character. Very important for us to pick People care. When, when they were picking uh, deacons in Acts 6, people to serve table, they looked at character qualities to serve table. In Titus or Timothy, wherever we see the qualities outlined, and, and um, Kevin Pete read some of those for us, that starts with character. So when you're picking people, think about character. And then once you pick them, follow them. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. We'll put this up. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, most of the time, leaders are leading us towards Scripture, and it's very clear. It's obvious this is what we should do. But in a lot of cases, the Scripture doesn't define exactly how we should carry it out. And that's where leadership steps in to say, okay, we in this place given who we are, are going to do it in this way. And when they do that, the temptation is to say, yeah, well, there's a better way. And guess what? There probably is. It's kind of like Google Maps. You get on Google Maps and you punch in your address and it gives you three different ways to get there. And you can sit there and stare at it forever, but at some point you have to pick a way to get there. And that's what leaders do. They pick a way. And let me just remind us that Any way we do things, there are always going to be drawbacks. There is no perfect way to carry out ministry and to accomplish things we want to do. The greater good is for us to get on board with leaders, to let them lead, and to push so that we can work in concert together and achieve something. So rather than spending all of our time disputing the very best way, the perfect way, let's get online together and get it done. So a lot of the things that we do in this church, you know, whether it be the Pray, ask, bless, share, tell, the discipleship pathway, um, our home group philosophy, all stuff. We know there's other ways to do it. We know there's probably better ways to do it. But you know what? This is what we prayerfully have come to. And the more that we can get around that vision and embrace it and, and do it together, we're going to overcome the deficiencies of the vision through the power of doing it together in the community and the shared work. So that's my plea to you, is to follow, to push, to allow people to lead. Uh, My second thing is to pray for your leaders. They have to give an account. They want to be a blessing to you. So pray for them that they can give a good account and that they can be a blessing to you. And they know, if they're good leaders, they know that they desperately need God's help. 
Any leader worth his or her salt has those moments where you come before the Lord and you say, oh God, there is no way I could ever do this without you. I desperately need you. And good leaders have those moments constantly because they realize the significance of what they're doing and they need, so pray for them. Pray that God would answer their plea and meet them. And then encourage them. Feedback is really important. And as a leader, if you're in leadership, you need to have a listening ear. You need to cultivate an environment where people will tell you what's really going on. That's super important. But let me just say this too. Leaders need to hear criticism, but they also need, they're human, right? So if you couch that criticism in a bit of encouragement from time to time, you will be more effective in getting what you would want to get done. So I, I say that even not just for myself, but some of our leaders are stepping in and they're just trying this out and they're scared. And, you know, we don't want to blindside them right away with criticism, but to encourage what we see going on that's good and healthy. And then lastly on this point, if God is calling you to be a leader, then I want to encourage you this morning to step up. And I know many of you, you feel like Jonah, you want to run away. You think about the quality and the character traits. You feel like, I can't meet the standard. I don't want to do this. I'm running away, you know. And I'll just say this because i got to finish up. Just think about what happened to Jonah when he ran away. All right? So don't get eaten by a whale. Say yes to the leadership call and step up because the church needs you. You need it for your spiritual growth. And the church needs you to carry the load that God's called you. This is your Holy Spirit assignment. So say yes. Say yes. I end with this, a picture. Jay Ewart. Jay. Jay was a leader in my home group when I was just dating my now wife, Jody, in Santa Barbara. And I was coming kind of back to the faith, was a mess. And he was the leader of my home group, and he was a curator at the museum in Santa Barbara, which happened to be down the street from our house. And Jay would ride his bike every morning by there. And once a week, he would pull over his bike and come into the apartment and sit down with me and have coffee. And we would talk about the Lord. And I had no idea what was going on, but he was pastoring me. And I would start confessing sin to him. And I would, I would, after I'd be like, wow, I can't believe I told him all that. You know? And then I would be like, well, wow, I feel better. Confess your sins one to another and be healed. Right? Jay was doing that. I had no idea what was going on. So I reached out to Jay uh, this weekend. And I said, hey, Jay, I'm going to be talking about you um, on Sunday. Do you remember? Here's the impact that you had on my life. And he, and he was like, oh, yeah. You know, I kind of remember. Like, it was no big deal to him. Because what? He was just doing what God calls... He was, just, he was just pastoring somebody, right? But if, you know, if I've ever blessed you, and I hope that's my intention to bless you from time to time, if I've ever blessed you, then you have Jay to thank on some level, right? And so my question, my ending question is, who, who are you going to be Jay to, okay? Who's God calling you to be Jay to? And I don't care how young you are or how immature you think you are. There's somebody that God wants you to be a J to, and somebody wants to be, J, to be a J to you, and you need to be open to that person, okay? But this whole thing's going to work a whole lot better if we have that one hand 
back to somebody who's going to mentor us and one hand forward to somebody who's going to men- we're going to mentor and be a pastor, a leader in their life. So let's do that. The impact is eternal. What a privilege. God, would you help us? Help us to know who those people are. Guide us to them. Strengthen us for the task. It's overwhelming and it always will be. We'll only ever always be able to do it because you empower us. So meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.